0: Thank you for listening to the Grace Harvest Church podcast. For more information, go to graceharvestchurch.org. How many of you are glad to be here today? Amen. I am. Good. Happy Fourth. What what a privilege we have to dwell in the nation that we're in and be able to gather here right now and worship and, and um and do it freely, right? We don't have to fear that somebody's going to kick down the doors and come in and arrest us because we are in, engaged in an unlawful gathering. Aren't you glad for that? Isn't it good to be able to look at the Scripture and worship God together and be able to pray to have all those freedoms? And so I just really, really appreciate that and appreciate um, God's goodness to us that we can gather and worship Him together. Amen. How many of you are ready to get into the Scripture today? I, uh, I started last Sunday, many of you might remember, but I started a s- new series called Supernatural where we're looking at the reality of the fact that God is a supernatural God, amen, that He transcends our mere boundaries, breaks in on them, and He still works miracles and still changes lives and heals bodies and minds and souls and spirits, that He's still a God that can raise the dead and, and do all those things right now at this moment in this room God is present, and He's a God that doesn't just fit in little boxes, but He's a miracle God. He's a supernatural God. Amen? This week, I want to share with you about freedom, what it really means to be free in Jesus Christ. We're going to look at a story of a mom and her child who needs freedom. And we're going to see that God hears our desperate cries. He hears our desperate cries. So we're going to start today with... uh, This text I I shared last week in opening, and that's Hebrews 13.8. I want you to notice this with me. It says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And that means that His character doesn't change, His nature doesn't change, and even His works don't change. And the reason this is important is because there are entire sections of Christianity that teach that after the Bible was completed, and all 66 bu- books of the Bible were completed, what we call the canon of Scripture was done being written, that the Holy Spirit quit doing miracles in the earth. God quit talking to us through prophecy. He quit healing sick bodies. He quit doing miracles, raising the dead. All the things we see in the Bible that God stopped doing those things. And that's called cessationism, the, the idea that God ceased working in miraculous ways. Now there's nothing in the Bible that says that, there's nothing within Scripture that indicates that, but there are entire sections of of the church out there that don't believe those things. And so I am going to be sharing in the weeks ahead this idea that God is still continually working miraculously, and He wants us to have faith for that, amen? Amen that he will find an atmosphere, an environment when he meets us, when we gather. And in our everyday life, he'll find an atmosphere and an environment that he's welcome to move in because we're not resisting him, because we're afraid, right? That we'll let him have his way among us, that we'll let him speak, we'll let him work. You know, I'll just tell you a quick testimony that was encouraging to me. At the end of last service... There's a couple that's a part of our church that were here, and right as I was doing the closing prayer, I felt like the Lord gave me a word, and it was a super simple word. And listen, I know things about this family, so I had to work through all of, all of the filters in my mind of what I know about them and their backstory, but I, I shared with them what I felt God spoke to me, and the power of the Holy Spirit came upon them. And in particular, the wife was just weeping, and I went back, and she said, you have no idea this last week what has been going on and how that word spoke to me. I came away very encouraged. I don't say that to toot my horn. I came away very encouraged. First of all, oh, yeah, Lord, I was able to hear you again. Woo! But secondly, that it worked. Edification, exhortation, and comfort. God built up, stirred up, and cheered up my sister. It strengthened the church. Everybody here was encouraged. People were like, yeah! And we had a moment where God broke through, and he did something in the now, what's known as a word of knowledge, a gift of the Holy Spirit. In the now, he spoke to this woman in our church, this man in our church, and gave them something to build them up and give them hope about their future. How many of you know that's powerful? And if you've ever had that happen in your life, you know it can change the course of your life when the Lord shows up and meets you in a moment and does a miracle in your heart. Amen? Amen. Now, when Jesus Christ walked the earth, he had a mission, a Messiah mission. He was the Savior. He was the King of Israel. He he came on the scene to do something, and when he first announced his mission, he was kind of in his home area. He was in a synagogue, and he broke out a scroll from the book of Isaiah, and in Luke chapter 4, verses 18 and 19, he shared that mission, and this is what he said, the Spirit of the Lord... "...is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty," second time that word is used, "...those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor." So when Jesus came on the scene and he wanted to announce his ministry, he used a prophecy from a prophet that lived 750 years before him, and there he proclaimed his mission, and his mission was to set captives free and to give liberty to oppressed people. So in today's text of Scripture that we're going to look at, we're going to see an actual example of how when Jesus came on the scene, He liberated captives. We're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 15, verses 21 through 28. So if you got a Bible and you want to turn there, you can. Otherwise, it'll be on the screen. Matthew 15, 21 through 28. Look at it with me. Verse 21. And Jesus went away from there and withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a Canaanite woman from that region, came out and was crying, "'Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon.' But he did not answer her a word. And his disciples came and begged him, saying, "'Send her away, for she is crying out after us.' He answered, "'I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel.' But she came and knelt before him, saying, Lord, help me. And he answered, it's not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. She said, yes, Lord. Yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered her, oh, woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. How many of you love that story? Isn't that powerful? Now, I want to give you a little bit of background information. And, and one of the reasons I want to do this is, is so that you might understand something. that, but Believe it or not, this text of Scripture recently has come under fire. This very section of Scripture. I was just reading this last week that a, a person uh, recently was making comment on this text of Scripture and basically said that Jesus was a racist. And this text of Scripture was the text of Scripture that they gave as an example of the fact that Jesus was a racist. So today what I'm going to do is I share with you is I'm going to take this text of Scripture and I'm going to put it within its cultural context. Now this is really important. If you're a student of the Bible, how many students of the Bible do we have in this room? Okay, so if you're a student of the Bible, here's an important principle. Um, We Whenever we read the Bible, all of us are engaging in something. We might not even realize we're doing it. We're engaging in something known as hermeneutics. And hermeneutics is the proper interpretation of Scripture. It's the science or the art of the interpretation of Scripture. And one of the principles within hermeneutics is you take the text of Scripture you're reading and you put it within its context. Now, there's a couple of ways you do that. The first thing you do is you read kind of the story before and the story after the text that you read. You get the big picture. What is happening here in the context of everything else? But, but you also gather other tools. You look into background tools so that you might understand the culture of the day, who Jesus was talking to, what was going on, so that you understand the Bible as it was written, as best as we can, as it was written to its original audience. Okay. So when we read the Bible, if our starting point is... How do I take this scripture and make it a promise for my own life? That's the wrong starting point. The proper starting point is what was happening when this was written, and what was the original audience hearing? What were they experiencing? And then, how do I apply what I'm reading in my own life? It's application. Interpretation is for the time and the place and the context. Application is for my life. You follow me? So today what we're going to do is we're going to start with interpretation and then we're going to go into application. So here's the interpretation. The first thing it says in the text is that Jesus was in the district of Tyre and Sidon. Now when the Bible includes certain information, it's not there by accident. When the Bible includes certain information, it was placed there by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit inspired the writer, Matthew, to make sure he put in the scripture what was going on and where it was happening. This particular district was a place with a long history of conflict with the nation of Israel. Many of the people who lived in this area came from a Canaanite background. The Israelites would have hated and looked down upon the Canaanite people from this area of the world. Many of these people, the the Israelites and the Jews who had once lived in that region had been displaced and replaced, and then there had been intermarriage, and a number of things were happening, and there was a lot of violent war history, all of that. In this particular region. She was a woman of Canaan, a Syrophoenician, a pagan descendant of the race of people that God told to make war against. The people that Israel were to displace because they were so evil and warlike and immoral that God decided it was time for them to be out of that land and his own people to be there thousands of years before. Okay, so you have all this context going on. These people had done horri- horrific things to the nation of Israel as well in their history. So you had these prejudices, you had, these, you had this anger, you had this violent background. That's the context for this. And then we see the cry of a mother. The first thing that happens is we see the cry of a mother. And behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying she cried out to Jesus in this verse. That word "cried out" is a Greek phrase, which literally means to screech like a raven or a crow. That's kind of trippy, huh? Um, to the disciples, she sounded like a raven screeching. In verse twenty-two, it says she cried out. In verse twenty-two, it's twenty-three. It says the disciples complained because she was crying out. Because they heard a screeching woman and it annoyed them. It was like the screech that came out of a raven or a crow. And I, I thought that was kind of funny because I like to talk to crows. I really do. You can ask my wife. We have a whole murder of crows in our neighborhood. Did you know that a flock of crows is called a murder? Okay, so right behind our house in a big tree is a murder of crows. Kind of dark, isn't it? And, you know... They they make some interesting sounds. They don't just screech and caw They they make some really weird sounds as well as they're talking to each other and interacting. But every once in a while, you know, while they're out there, all of a sudden you hear one, you know, one of them go, kah, kah. And I'll just answer. Kah, kah. And then I, I know, they'll, they'll kind of look and then they'll answer. at them And then I'll go right back at them. And this will go on for a few minutes, and my wife will be cracking up. She'll be going, you're so weird. And, you know, if, if that went on, it would get really annoying. Really annoying. Some of you are already annoyed. But that sound is what the disciples heard. They saw, they heard a screeching woman, and they made no connection in their heart. With her need. There was no compassion, compassion there at all. It was like, shut her up. And then what'd she say? Have mercy on me. Uh oh. Now she's starting to break down Jesus, right? She's pulling out the mercy card. Have mercy on me. Because she was experiencing what? The horrible weakness and that powerless feeling that parents experience when they can't help their children. How many of you know what I'm talking about? When your kids, when they can't even maybe express what's going on, or even if they're old enough to express what's going on in their life, they're experiencing a suffering that you are powerless to do anything about it. None of your medicine, none of your back rubs, none of the little things you do, a Band-Aid won't fix it this time. It's going to take something bigger than the Band-Aid to fix the boo-boo, right? I mean, it's just a reality, and that's what she's experiencing. She's like, Jesus... Have mercy on me. And then she takes out the big, the big cards, man. She says, Lord, Son of David. This woman called Jesus Lord, which signified her belief in his authority. It was the same phrase that would be used, yes, to address people that were in high positions, but also the same phrase that was used to address Yahweh. The same phrase that was used to address God. And then she says, Son of David. That signifies her belief that he was the Messiah that the Jews were looking for. So I want you to see what's happening here. A Canaanite, Syrophoenician woman who was rejected by the Jews, who would have been outside what they considered to be inside. She was an outsider. She's on the margins. She's the rejected, forgotten one. She has recognized that Jesus is Lord and Messiah. And she's begging him for mercy. It's powerful. And then she tells him what's going on. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. Possibly even worse than a physical ailment, demon possession would have been terrifying. It is terrifying. The demonic presence in her would have been continually leading her to do self-destructive behaviors and would have led her own mother to be in constant fear for her life and well-being. You remember the story that we shared recently of a man who had a son who was demon-possessed, and that demon would often cause him to be thrown into the fire and into the water to try to burn him and to try to drown him. Okay, now, that's what demonic possession and oppression does. It leads to self-destructive behavior and other destructive behavior. Its purpose is to destroy relationships and to tear away at the imago day. That is the image of God. You and I are the image bearers of God. And so the, the devil, Satan, he strikes at the image of God. His desire is to destroy human beings because we reflect who God's nature is. right? And so this demon is oppressing and tearing down this woman's daughter. And you would think of that moment, right? Knowing what we know of Jesus. He was moved with compassion and he healed them. You would think at that moment that Jesus would go, okay, I'm on it. But this interaction takes place, which is kind of strange if you don't understand what's going on. But it's really powerful if you get God's heart here. Okay, so what happens? To test her faith She's rebuffed five times, but let me, let me just say something to you here. I don't believe Jesus is just kind of testing this woman's faith to see if her request is legit. Jesus is calling everybody around him to see what faith looks like. In other words, this test, this seeming rebuffing by Jesus, this seeming resistance by Jesus to her request, is not because Jesus is cold-hearted or racist or doesn't love her or any of those things. It's because he's wanting everybody around to see what faith looks like, what real faith looks like, faith that he marvels at. You'll see it in the text a little bit later. And this is my word for some of you that are experiencing a time in your life right now Where you've been praying, you've been crying out, you need God's intervention. Maybe it's a marital thing, a financial thing, a health-related thing. Maybe it's relationships within your family, but you are facing a mountain. You are facing resistance. You are facing a struggle. And you've been praying, and you've been asking God to intervene, and it seems like nothing's happening, and you're about to quit. I want to tell you don't quit, because your faith is not only going to gain the promise of God, but your faith is going to be a witness to everybody in your life that is watching you, and you don't even know they're watching you. You are about to be a testimony of the faithfulness of God. And how many of you know people need to see real believers? Not just people who have a profession of faith. Yeah, I believe in Jesus but, you know, when, it come, when the going gets rough, I manipulate circumstances and make it happen on my own. No people who come to a place in their life that if, where if God doesn't intervene, it's, it's over. Am I making any sense to anybody? So let's look at this. Let's look at this interaction here. The first test, I guess you could say, is the test of no answer. The test of no answer. It says, he did not answer her a word. Sometimes it seems like the Lord's not listening, but He's testing to see if we are desperate and faith-filled. You know, sometimes, have you ever noticed, sometimes when you're praying for something that you need God's intervention in, your prayers are pretty weak? Come on, let's be honest. You know, Lord, would you please do this and that? And, and uh, hold on, God, I've got to get a cup of coffee. <laughs> Yeah, yo, yo, big big daddy yo, Yo, man upstairs. Right? What kind of relationship with God is that? Right? Some of us, you know, we've become so casual in our relationship because we don't want to be religious that, you know, God's just like, you know, Papa, yo, what's up, big dog? No. God is God. He's holy. And sometimes what He's looking for out of us is a genuine focus on Him. Because many times what we call prayer is just kind of we're going through our list, you know, throwing up our stuff to God. And, and more is happening here. God's He's like requiring, he's drawing something out of this woman. I want to see what's in your heart. I want you to expose it all. I want you to bring it all out there. This is a relationship. I want you to be as completely transparent before me as possible, even if it's in public. I want to see your heart and then second test here is group rejection and his disciples came and begged him saying send her away for she's crying out after us the disciples obviously did not know jesus purpose or test for the woman but they wanted some peace and quiet have you ever noticed that those guys often thought it was about them Remember, there's another place where children were coming to Jesus, and people were bringing their children to Jesus, and Jesus was getting them up on his lap, and he was blessing them, and he was loving on them, and the disciples were trying to stop it. Get, 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 take the children. And Jesus turned to the disciples and rebuked them. He said, don't stop the little children for coming to me, from coming to me, for such is the kingdom of heaven. How dare you keep the kids from me? This is kind of like that, too. The disciples are like, she's loud. I don't like her. Keep her away from us. She's a, she's a Canaanite woman. Keep her away. Away with you. <laughs> right? Test number three. This is not for you. This is not for you. Now it gets really intense. First, it's no answer. Then it's group projection. Now, Jesus answers her and says, I'm sorry, but, you know, basically, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. I was sent to God's people and you're not in that group, is basically what he's telling her. Jesus tells her what she already knew. That is that she's not in, but she's on the outside. The gospel was to go to the Jew first. He further tests her to see if she can yet be dissuaded. And yet, it doesn't stop. At that point, she cries cry and the worship of a desperate mother. Verse 25, but she came and knelt before him saying, Lord, help me. The new King James says she came and worshiped him saying, Lord, help me. The Greek word for knelt and worship both is the Greek word, which means to kneel and worship before a deity. So she comes before Jesus. Now this is where she pulls out the biggest card of all. She comes before Jesus, not just merely as a person in need, but so far she's called him Lord, she's called him son of David, she's cried out for mercy, and now she worships. Lord, have mercy. She worshiped, help me, help me. She treated Jesus like Jesus was her God. And you would think at that point that would break him down and he'd be done, but nope. Test number four, answer number two, you're not worthy. Verse 26, and he answered, it's not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Jesus just called this woman a dog. What is going on here? He looks kind of mean, doesn't he? How many of you ever... Come on, let's be honest. I know most of us read... When we read our Bibles and we come across difficult passages, we either go into denial, we reject them, or we quickly read over them and we think in the background, I'm not going to read that. (laughs) Just called her a dog. I don't believe it. Something not right here. I don't understand it. I don't want to talk about it, right? So there's obviously something more because we know, here's the thing, we know over and over in the New Testament... Jesus cared about the marginalized. He cared about the people outside of Israel. He cared about the Samaritans. So we know Jesus wasn't a racist. We know He wasn't purposely being rejecting toward this woman. His his background, His history, what He's characterized by throughout the stories of the Gospels is that He always reached toward the people that would have been rejected in the culture. And yet here... He seems like he's putting this woman off with some really cold-blooded things. It's not right to take the children's bread. Israel's portion is healing and me interacting with them and throw it to the dogs, to the, the dogs. Those are the Gentiles. The Jewish people of that time saw all Gentiles as being dogs, mongrels, wondering mongrels that didn't belong to a family. But Jesus is doing something. There's a play on words here, and a lot of people miss this. Jesus uses a different term. He uses the term for a little family dog here. If you go do a Greek word study on it, you'll find it. it's a family dog and not the term for a wandering mongrel. He's saying that the riches and the inheritance are for Israel, but you're just a little family dog, as it were. And this is where... She takes the bait. She's like, oh, I see what you're doing. I see what you're saying. And that's when she says, and this this is when we find out about tenacious faith, the tenacious faith of a desperate mother. She says, yes, Lord. Yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Now, you know what's beautiful? She knew the character and the mercy of Jesus. Listen, his reputation had preceded him. He'd been healing people everywhere. He'd been setting captives free. He'd been doing miracles already. And she knew this guy's got a great reputation. And I've heard he cares about people like me and my family. He knows about my circumstances. So if he wants to call me a little family dog, I'm going to let him know that I'll take his crumbs. And it's beautiful. His reputation, as I said, had preceded him. And he, his final answer, what does he say? Then Jesus answered her, Oh, woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed immediately. You see, this woman knew something that Archbishop Richard Trench said. He said, prayer is not overcoming God's reluctance. It's laying a hold of His highest willingness. But you got to lay a hold of it. Weak little, eh, you know, God, I hope you do this for me maybe someday. You know, it tells us that we're we're not, it's not like we're putting our heart out there that God's character is true and good. Let our prayers be filled with passion. Let our requests be intense. Let them say to God, that is, this is something I really, really desire and want, oh God, have mercy on me. Do exceedingly abundantly above and beyond all I can ask, think, hope, or pray. But come on, God, be the God that the Bible says you are be supernatural in my life. All right, one clap. Thank you for that encouragement. (laughs) Praise the Lord. Now, I want to break down what Jesus says to her, because this is profound. The first thing he says, you might read right past it, he says, oh, woman. A lot of times, for instance, in our culture, if a dude's joking around, you know, sometimes I'll joke around with my wife and I'll say, woman, right and we know when a person does that it's usually not a good thing right it's definitely not an endearing term in our culture if you say to a woman hey woman it's seen as kind of a put down that's not the case here woman was not a condescending word but a word of honor and respect so when jesus says oh woman I want you to to see what he's doing here. He's taken a Canaanite, Syrophoenician, outsider, rejected by the nation of Israel. He's bringing her in. And now in front of a bunch of Jewish people who would have rejected her. And all along, see what he was doing the whole time? Let's see this. He was baiting the crowd. He was showing the people their own prejudices. He was showing them that they're the ones who exclude and he's not. And he, it's like he brings her from the outside. He puts her in the center. And now he lifts her up and he says, oh, woman. And everybody there is like, wow. Wait a minute. She's a woman. That's the first thing in that culture. Women wouldn't even get a public hearing, wouldn't even be considered as a witness in a trial. A woman. You're a Canaanite, you're a Syrophoenician, Canaanite woman. I honor you for your faith, your tenacious, intense faith that won't let go. And he says, great is your faith, the faith of a desperate mother. You know, this is only one of two occasions where Jesus is amazed and marvels at and commends someone for their faith. And the other time was also a Gentile, a centurion soldier whose servant was sick at home. And he came to Jesus and he says, Jesus, Jesus, My servant is sick at home. Would you heal him? And Jesus says, this shows you that he wasn't prejudiced. Jesus says, let me come to your house and I'll heal your servant. And in that culture, Jews never ate with Gentiles and Gentiles never ate with Jews. And especially a Jewish rabbi would never go to the home of a centurion. That is one who commands a hundred soldiers. He would never go to his home. And Jesus says, I'll come to your home. And the centurion says, no, Lord, it's okay. Just say the word, and I know my servant will be healed. And Jesus is like, whoa, I haven't seen faith like this in all Israel. And Once again, he commends an outsider. So I think it's really important when we think about this that many times we think we know who's in and who's out. And we live in a culture of us versus them, and we live in a culture of categorizing people. We live in a culture where it's really easy to put the people that we think are the bad guys, and you, you come up with your own list, because I know all of us have them, and we take those bad guys and we put them over here, and of course, we're part of the good guys. You ever noticed in our, in our narratives about our lives, about our country, about our world, about whatever, we're the good guys and they are the bad guys, right? Right? And so we build our little kingdoms. We put ourselves in the good guy kingdom. We put the others in the bad guy kingdom. And we say, they're on the outs and I'm on the inside. And Jesus right here took the outsider and put him on the insider. And then in front of all of his own people, commends her faith as marvelous. Be it done for you as you desire. That's another way of saying, yes, yes, yes. You can almost hear. If you read between the lines, I like to do that in the Bible, read between the lines, Jesus is genuinely thrilled and happy here. He is so excited for this woman's faith. He's like, check it out, everybody. That's faith. Woo! Yes, yes, yes. Thank you, Mitch. Mitch is my amen corner. (laughs) Typical pastor, man. He's like, yeah. I'm going to preach this in my church next week. That's what I'd be doing with you, taking notes. (laughs) And it says her daughter was healed instantly. In fact, is there anything? Let's go back. I mean, is there anything in the text? Be it done for you as you desire. Jesus didn't touch her, didn't command the demon to come out of her. There's nothing in the text that indicated he did anything except turn to the woman and say, be it unto you according to your desire. And a demon that had had a hold of this woman's daughter left her, and she was completely healed at that moment. Wow. All because an outsider woman was desperate and believed and knew who Jesus really was and wouldn't give up until Jesus said yes.